handle the truth. So Frank De Palma, you got into an incident when you were how old? How old were you when you got into this incident? Uh, I was 18. 18 years old. Okay. And you had a dog, correct? Yes. Ah, and what kind of relationship did you have with this dog? Well, it was my best friend. He, uh, yeah, he was, he was just, he was my, he was, he was with me wherever I went. You know, he got me and I got him, you know, and, uh, and he showed his loyalty to me, loyalty to me a couple of times, you know, put his, put his life on the line for me when we went camping one time up in Red Rock Canyon. And I was getting everything ready. And all of a sudden, the hair on the back of his neck just stood up and he just ran. He just took off. And I thought, but hey, he went up this, this thing over the cliff and right above me, right above, we're easy to get to me. Mm-hmm. There was a mountain lion. He mm-hmm. <laughs> was just, his tail was flicking and he was looking at me. And he, I, like I said, I couldn't get away. But man, he didn't bark one time. He, and that cat just went out, swiped at him. He got out of the way and the cat took off, mm-hmm. you know, but he ran right to it, you know, didn't say a word. And, uh, and then uh, another time I got into a fight and, uh, uh, with this Mexican kid and I whooped his ass pretty good. And that night a pickup truck came, uh, up to, uh, to where I live and these guys get out. Mexican guys. One guy's one guy's got a bat. And but they were coming to one dude. I said, You whoop my brother, man. I'm whoop your ass, you know. And it didn't make sense to me. We had a fight, that's all. Mm-hmm. And uh, but this one guy came at me and Bud, man, just boom, and 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 got him on the shoulder, but he meant to get him on the neck. Yeah, he was going for the neck. And uh, and I had to pull him off, and these guys took off, right? My father came out of the house. He goes, what the hell? And I said, uh, you know, bud, <laughs> just looking out for me. <laughs> you know, he was all excited. But, you know, I mean, that to me was uh, all I needed, you know. <laughs> he was, a, he was a, a golden lab, you know. I was going to ask short you what hair. kind of dog he was, a short hair golden lab, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they're very yeah. loyal dogs. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, he was. How long, how long was you with, what, what was the dog's name? Bud. Bud. How long Bud. was he with Bud? Yeah. Well, he picked it because I would ask him you know, when he was a puppy. I'd tell him, all right, you know, how about this now? And he would just look at me. And, and one day I said, hey, listen here, buddy. And he barked. I said, what are you talking about, buddy? And he barked again. I said, what are you talking about? He didn't say nothing. Mm-hmm. When I said buddy or Bud, he barked. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. You got it. That's what it is. But it is. And he barked again. And he's always been Bud. (laughs) That was his name. He chose it as far as I'm concerned. So how old was you when that happened? When Bud was Uh, a puppy? uh, Gosh, he was like five years old. So, God, he was still young, man. But, uh, yeah, five years old. uh, so five years. Uh, About 13 years old. Yeah, yeah. Mm. We'd moved out to Las Vegas, Nevada at the time, you know, and uh, to get it because I was I was becoming uh, more aggressive, I guess you could say. A lot of fights in school, 
once I stopped running, I didn't take shit from nobody. You know, I didn't, I didn't accept any bullshit from anybody. You want to whoop my ass, you can whoop it, but you're going to have to work for it. Yeah. You know? And that's, that's what I did, you know? And so my family got concerned because they found a switchblade in my, in my dresser drawer. And I just, I never thought of using it. I just like to play with it. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and I actually found it, you know, it was a good one, but, uh, you know, they were afraid, you know, and plus my asthma was, uh, the doctor said, you got to find a drier climate. He's not going to make it till his 18th birthday. It's kind of, it's yeah. kind of like, um, where the red fern grows. You ever read that book? No, I've heard of it though. Where the red fern grows is a small boy that, um, he, he had a, you know, a, a kind of turbulent childhood or whatnot. And, he walked like traveled he saved up his little pennies or whatnot and traveled to go get two bloodhound puppies one boy one female right one boy one girl and it's just a story of him and and the adventures of his puppies and then you know of course they died in the end and when one died the other one died shortly behind it and and then fern grew up you know where the dogs died at where the red fern grows so all right um and 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 I say that because you kind of have grown an affinity with this dog, like you say, this was your best friend. This you guys went on adventures together, and he protected you and things of this nature. And then one day, what happens? Well, it was the beginning. Of the day. I think it was either before Christmas or just after Christmas. I think it was before. Uh I'm sitting out. It was it was kind of chilly out and everything, but it was a weekend, and Bud and the other neighborhood dogs and some of the kids, you know, uh, they're playing in the yards, but the dogs are playing in the streets, play fighting and all that, just having fun. And uh, I knew the sound. There was a guy that lived in our neighborhood that would drive his truck or his car uh, real fast, real fast to get around the corners and stuff. And people complained to him, and when he didn't give a shit, they called the cops, saying that he's going to kill a kid or something. But the cops said they really couldn't do anything unless they caught him, you know. Uh, so they would, you know, knock on his door and tell him, hey, blah, blah, we're getting complaints. And, you know, okay, yeah, yeah. But nothing was ever done. So this day... Dogs are out there playing, and I hear that. I know that truck because he's always working on the engines. Got a little beefy sound, mm-hmm. and uh, here he comes. I see him. He comes around the corner. He's coming, you know. And the dogs break and run, but Bud, and he always breaks and runs when any car comes around. But he just looked at the truck, and I said, "Bud, you know, I, you know, because he's getting close." And he looks at me. And when he turns, it's too late. And so, I mean, for a long time, I wondered if I got him killed because I called him, you know, and that wore off my head, you know, it just wore, tore me up. But uh, I, I don't think so. it just, it, it was a bad situation. And he hit my dog. My dog went flying in the air and, uh, and, and landed. I ran over to him and he died in my arms right there, you know, uh, but he was alive when I grabbed him. So he knows that I was there. Mm. But this guy didn't even slow down. Just kept going. And I'm a real emotional, sensitive kind of guy. 
uh, always have been. I, I just had a, an emotional break. And it was my dog, Ryan. And this guy didn't even slow down. And I just took off and ran up to the street. He lived straight shot up. You know, I don't know how far it was. Good ways. But uh, I'm banging on his door. You tell him, come out here, man. I got something for you. You know, you want to kill my dog. and uh, But he wouldn't answer the door. And I noticed his, the truck was all askew in the driveway. Uh, the door was open, the driver's door. And I saw a, a rope, like a braided thing, hanging down. And I said, okay, I'll get in. <laughs> you know, uh, and I got in the truck. Those doors started up, backed out, and drove it all the way around the block. I got down to where I live. Oh, the braided uh, thing was the keychain. Yeah. And, and yeah. So you knew the keys were and, in the truck. Uh, uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, and I got down to where I lived, like I said, a straight shot, and I floored it and honked the horn all the way up there. I don't want anybody coming in the streets. Uh, and by the time I got to the to where he lives, uh, I was I was going pretty quick, pretty quick. And uh but I didn't think about the curb. <laughs> the truck hit it and it went airborne, but it started to tip. Mm -hmm. And the back of the, uh, well, pretty much the side uh, was kind of like sideways. Uh, went through the picture window of the front of the house, went through the living room, uh, through the closet, into the master bedroom, and halfway outside the back. I was, I was knocked out. Uh, you took a chunk out of the house. Huh? You took a chunk out of the house. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I hurt that house. Uh, and I hurt myself, too. But I was just knocked out and came to. And I crawled out. But the cops were there. And they were yelling, uh, come out again. We're, gonna, we're not going to keep telling you. I, I, that's the first time I heard it. So I said, I'm here. You know? And uh, I saw my dad. And I told him, Dad, don't put my dog in a hole in the ground. Put him in a real cemetery, a dog cemetery. And he did. I appreciated that. Uh, and so they arrested me. I had a whole slew of charges. I had a whole slew of charges. But I uh, uh, can't think of the lawyer. Oh, Harry Claiborne. Uh, family got together and got me a good lawyer. He was a real good lawyer. <laughs> and uh, he worked out a deal to where they dropped all the charges. I would plead guilty to Grand Theft Auto. For taking a truck, I would get a ten-year sentence. It would be suspended. I would have to serve five years probation. However, after two and a half years of successful probation, I could petition the court and get my, you know, my record expunged. Mm -hmm. uh, all I had to do was apologize to the court, you know, for for what happened. Okay. I'm I'm with that, you know. Uh so it was uh 19 I I was wrong. I was wrong about that I I'm I'm a year off. Uh yeah, what do you know? Uh it was 1975 when I went to prison, March. It was a couple months. Uh That's the year I was born. Is that right? Well, it was, uh, uh, it was just a few months before May, which is May 28th is my birthday. Mm -hmm. So I was 18 when I got there, and a few months later, I turned 19. And uh, it was a year after that that the storm hit, you know. But uh, 
So I, I'm in jail. I finally get bailed out. I got a good lawyer. I go to the, you know, and they said, you know, things and, and the deal's made. So now I'm waiting on sentencing. Sentencing comes around. And the judge calls my docket, you know, my, and I stand up, you know, and uh, he said, I, and he reads the charges and, uh, you know, he says, I understand there's been a plea agreement. I've read it. Uh, is there anything you'd like to say before I pass sentence? And uh, I said, yes, Your Honor. I, uh, you know, I'm aware of the stipulation and all that. And uh, I meant it was, it was in me to apologize. I was going to. But I started thinking about my dog. And, and I just... It, my heart just did what it did, man. And uh, I said, but you the know, thing, the thing of it is, is that before you, before we, before you get before you go off on the judge, right? The thing of it is, is that you number one, you were taught Frank to retaliate, right? As we as we described earlier, you were yes, taught to yes. retaliate when you were wronged, when you felt wronged. And the thing of that is, is that you felt wronged in that manner. Yes, you know yes. what I mean. And at the end of the he day, hurt my family. You retaliated, right? He hurt and, my family. And your father taught you to retaliate at all means necessary. So when you were using the tools earlier, he taught you that it was okay, right? Yes. It was okay to use yes. tools to attack. So now you're in the courtroom and you are expected to apologize for something that you don't feel sorry for. Because exactly. you, felt, you felt that you were wrong. Like at the end of the day, like this dude killed my dog. You know yes. what I mean? Like this and dude I killed. That. I love this. I love this dude that killed dog. my that brother. Dog is my family. This dude killed my brother, and now I got to right. sit here and apologize for for what <laughs> happened because I don't, you know. So that is the context of why you are getting ready to go off on the judge. So please do. But no. But here's the thing. Uh, I didn't go off on a judge. Okay. I just spoke from my heart. I mm -hmm. said, Your Honor, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that my best friend is dead. And I'm sorry that the son of a bitch who killed him isn't standing here beside me facing murder charges. Mm -hmm. Now, I noticed people in the courtroom were looking at me, right? And I said, you know, Your Honor, these people in the courtroom, they're hearing me, and they don't know that I'm talking about a dog. You know, I said, that guy killed my best friend. I loved my, my, my dog. We were partners. And that son of a bitch took him from me. I said, now, the value of a human life over an animal's, that's apples and oranges, man. I said, but can you tell me that my intrinsic love for a child and my, or my love for a dog is measured? I said, no, I just give my love to those who know how to claim it. Mm -hmm. I said, you know, so that's the issue. I'm sorry that I wasn't man enough to find that son of a bitch and, and handle it myself mm -hmm. because he killed my best friend. And I'm to, sorry. And to speak and on. the judge got upset. The judge and, got upset, not me. And, and to speak on that, right, I did a TikTok not too long ago, Frank, where there was a video of a motorcyclist where he was going down the road and there was people that was, it was a man and a wife. And then there was another guy up by the garage and they were like working on their boat. 
right? They had their boat on the trailer there in the driveway and they had the little dog by their feet. And as the motorcycle was coming, the dog ran out into the street and right in front of this motorcycle and, and dumped the motorcycle, right? So yeah. the, the guy dumps and he's rolling on the ground and the people ran to the dog first. You know what I mean? The people yeah, ran yeah. by the man that was laying yeah. unconscious on the <laughs> ground and went to the dog to make sure that the dog was okay. Then finally, yeah. once they saw that the dog was okay, they, they trickled over to the man as he's now starting to get up off the ground. But the, yeah. the thing of it is, is that the comments, because that kind of went viral, right? And the thing of it is, is the comments on that was 90% that hey, that dog is my family. I know that dog. Yeah. I don't know that person. You know what I mean? Exactly. That was that was the majority of. So just to reinforce for those who aren't dog owners or whatever and can't kind of relate to what it is that he's saying, like me, I'm not an animal lover to that sense. I love animals as as living beings, but yes, not to that sense, yes. you know, okay. some people are so. You have been taught to retaliate. You have been taught to retaliate with tools at any means necessary. And you have been taught to retaliate when you've been hurt. And now you've been expected to apologize to this judge, but you've also been taught to be a man, right? And to speak your mind and to, and to walk proud, you know, yes. and, and let the chips fall where they may. So what happens now that the judge says this? Well, he gets upset. He's the one who gets upset. And he says, I do not have to honor this plea agreement. It is up to me. He says, I am not honoring this plea agreement. We can go back to step one, or I can sentence you on the charge. And I said, go ahead. <laughs> and uh, that's what he did. He said, I hereby sentence you on a charge of, you know, Grant, 10 years in Nevada State Prison. Case, case, you know, whatever he banged. He actually had banged the gavel. Mm -hmm. And uh, and they, my dad was sitting there. And I just said, I don't know. I, and they let me out. And it, my dad, I heard my dad say, what the hell? And the lawyers, you know, the lawyer was like, like trying to nudge me, you know, I'm, you know, like shut up. And, but it just came out, you know, and it came from my heart. So I don't have, you know, people say, have said, man, that was stupid of you. And I said, yeah, well, my dog's up there saying, yeah, he didn't sell me out. You know, <laughs> and that's all that mattered to me. Right. You know, and this goes time. into what I was saying about people not understanding because people just think they're not going to understand and, and they're going to call you. That's on, them. that's on them. That's on them. Uh, it's on them to learn, to come to understand. That's what I do in my life. Everything that I experience, I seek to understand it. And I think more people need to learn to people say, well, you think too much, Frank. And I said, well, maybe you don't think enough, you know. Hmm. Uh, I've come to know myself very well. Someone mm -hmm. asked me, as someone asked me, would you change your life if you could the whole thing? And as much as I hate and fear the memory and what it's done to me of all those years in there and, and, and what happened in solitary, how I disconnected, uh, they, they haunt me horribly. Uh, but, and it's just since very recently, that I couldn't answer that question. I honestly, I wasn't going to lie and say, yeah or no, I had to really. And then it was just recently. And I just tweeted about it just last night. Uh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change my life 
because I became something I was never meant to be. And I have discovered, like, for example, uh, when I went to, uh, when I was transferred to NNCC, I was up in the site board and it was pointed out to me. Someone said, you know, Frank, you're very altruistic, especially when it comes to these helpless people, defenseless people. It was, there were some really sick people up there. They never got out for showers. They never got out for anything. They just medicated them. They had no electricity, no appliances. They was just horrible. Mm-hmm. And I started advocating for them, writing kites to the warden and saying, hey, these guys never get out for shower. They never get out for the yard. They don't get commissary. They don't get their laundry done. Nobody's helping these people and they need help. They're human beings. And I kept on. Guards were saying, hey, once you back off, we can send you back to Ely. We can find something in your cell. That's all I want you to just give them showers and stuff, man. Give them what they got coming. You know, you can send me back to Ely. Go ahead. I don't care. You don't threaten me. And sooner or later, the warden said, hey. And he started, he laid it out, man. They had, they, they had to start complying. And they hated me for it because I broke the status quo. And these these guys, these 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 psych patients who, like I said, are really sick, uh, they've thrown piss and stuff mm-hmm. on me. And now, let's ask any on one any one of us. Someone was to spit in my face, it's on. Mm-hmm. You throw shit in my face or piss? Come on, man! But it happened. With it's like when things didn't get done fast enough for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they took it out on me (laughs) and we've experienced that with the guards, you know, (laughs) and, but whenever that happened, I would get mad and I'd run straight for the shower, turn them, put the, with the coveralls on all that and just soap up and get a new pair of coveralls. And and then one day I'm walking down a tier and one of the guys named Sonny, he was a Korean guy, really, really sick. he said, hey, Frank, hey, Frank, come here, come here. So I go down and I said, what's up, son? He said, hey, you're a good friend. You're a good friend, Frank. He said, if I were you, I would kill me. I'd throw piss and shit on you because you don't do nothing fast enough. You don't get the help. You're the only one that got a brain here. You can help us, you know, and you're too slow. And I said, he said, but you know what? You're a, good, you're a good friend. You're a good friend. You never say nothing to me. And I said, you said, you're not mad at me? I said, no, Sonny, we got enough people mad at us without being mad at each other. Right. And I was walking down the hallway, and it hit me. I never wanted to hurt any one of, the, any one of those uh, patients. Uh, okay. I, 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 and I thought about that. Well, why? Why if someone... I, Ordinarily, I would I would think to kill you. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a serious offense to me. Why didn't I lose it with them? It's because, and I realize this, it's how I choose to process things in my head that makes my decisions. I've learned not to make a decision while I'm emotional mm. because you most times you're always going to regret that. Mm. But I never got angry or wanted to hurt any one of those psych patients because I knew that they weren't responsible. 
Hence, I didn't get mad at them. Well, it's, uh, it's, it's funny that you say that because, you know, I, I went through the same transition with, with these pedophiles as they were bringing these pedophiles oh, yeah. in. Yeah. You know, and it's, it's, it went from, uh, you know, just, just the transition for me to, to start to understand and realize that I wasn't doing God's work. I was, I was taking my anger out on these people, you know what I mean? And, and things of that nature. And like, in the sense of, of what you're just saying that like these people are mentally, mentally impaired. You know, they can't help what they what they do. And when I started hearing, like, you know, because these people would would plead for their life, you know, they would plead for themselves. And within them, please, you're hearing these people sit here say, like, I can't help what I do, you know, and I'm sorry. And and, you know, I I hate what I've done. And 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 it all just starts to sound like a person that's addicted, you know, or just in, in complete uncontrol of themselves. And I think hearing that started making me question myself like what am i doing like you know what i mean like this isn't me you know this isn't who i want to be you know and and um exactly i think there's a lot of parallel of what like what you were just sitting there describing and it just made me reflect you know well you know what what and and that's what made my decision because i've had even though i didn't realize it throughout you know i've had glimpses of my true self mm-hmm. uh but i didn't really get to meet him until i got out it, it's, it's been in a whole different story since i've been out but uh i realized so much that because you know for the while i was in prison you know especially in solitary the first number of years the first six seven years was fighting guards uh but i also i was in an empty cell and uh i had nothing to connect with so i connected with me you know and it's like you're walking down that road and you turn around to meet your your enemy and you see yourself standing there well there's another step after that you face yourself now you got to step inside yourself and begin a journey that never ends. I'm still on it. Uh, well, we're going to get into the solitary part. Yeah. that That's going to be an episode completely on itself. But going back to you getting your 10 years now, you being let out of the courtroom and you're like, you know, what, what the hell? What, you know, what? So what happens exactly. from there? You're 18 years uh, old. You just got back. 10 years in, in a Nevada right. state prison. I get taken back to myself. And I wait about an hour and I asked the deck guard if I can get a, get the phone. And he said, get on the list, you know. So I get on the list and I'm waiting. Finally, I get the phone. And I call call home and my dad answers the phone. He said, what the hell? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know what happened, Pop. I didn't, I didn't curse or anything. Well, I said I did, but I wasn't cursing at the judge. I was just, it just came out, Pop. He said, well, now you're going to prison. I said, I don't know what to say. You know, he said, you should have said what you're supposed to say. I said, well, I guess I did because my heart spoke, Pop. Right. And I'm not sorry. And I'll do this 10, this 10, I got two, I got to do two years. You know, uh, then I go to pro board 
And a couple months after that, I'll be out. You know, uh, you know, uh, well, we, we talked a while longer than I had to hang up. And it was like three o'clock the next morning when, uh, there's a flashlight in my eyes and the guard said, hey, Palmer, wake up. I, uh-huh. And he said, uh, take your personal belongings, limited to legal mail, and uh, let's go. <laughs> and so they racked my door. They cuffed me. And I said, where am I going? You know, I didn't know it was going to happen that quick. He said, you're going to prison. <laughs> yeah. So, so one guard says, you're lucky. He says, you're going in the van. He says, most times you have to go in the, in the paddy, in the prison wagon. And that's really uncomfortable. You're locked in these little, little thieves in them, you know, little cages, you know. The dog and, cages. Uh, yeah. So, but I was in a regular seat now, regular band. And uh, it was about three o'clock in the morning. Uh, they dressed me out. They strip searched me, which is a humiliation tactic they got, as you know. And mm-hmm. uh, very well. They go through all that and give me coveralls that are way too big for me in the loafers and uh they put belly chains and leg irons on me and escort me into the elevator take me downstairs into the police garage and uh that's where the van was waiting a couple of other cops out there with their guns ready and uh put me in the van and now uh, we drive off you know and uh the whole way there i'm trying to understand what the, what the hell's going on here mm-hmm. you know and uh and, and it's amazing how <laughs> when when you get into certain situations, you find yourself turning to God. <laughs> yep. And I found myself praying. You know, uh, I watched the sunrise, and, and and for some reason, it just seemed so majestic to me. It was just so perfect, and I knew that it was going to go away. I just knew it. And uh, and uh, little did you know that it was life. just starting to begin. Oh yeah, the the beginning of my descent into a darkness that most people don't know about, you know, uh, or come back from. Uh, you know, do you, do you remember some? Of, do you remember some of your thoughts on your way to prison? I mean, while oh, you're sitting yeah, on that was, bus, I, I mean, I, was... I remember talking to some guys on the tier after court. I said, "Man, I'm going to prison." They said, "You know," I was wondering, "Can they change their minds? <laughs> you know, can they?" Can the judge say, "Hey"? I was a little too harsh and called me back. And so I said, no, just, just forgot about you. Yeah. And uh, I said, I don't know. I mean, I hear stories. And got, one guy told me, as soon as you get there, you find the biggest, baddest dude. You go up and you punch him in the face and let, let them know, know that uh, you ain't playing. And some other guy said that, that he'd done time. He said, listen, don't pay attention to that dude. Don't do that because you'll get yourself killed. Right. You know, he said, just go up there and mind your own business. Carry yourself as a man. You don't tell. You don't involve yourself in other people's business. You do your time. You get a program and you stick to it. Amen. And. And I was the survival. Yeah. So. That's how I was in life anyway. I minded my business. I didn't tell on people. uh, And that's not because of any code. I did tell on a kid. When I stole something out of a store, a ring for a girl that I had a crush on. And we both got caught. And the guy said, well, your buddy gave you up. 
I said, no, nah, man, he stole his own ring. I stole mine. I told him it all up. <laughs> yeah, they hit you with the with the 52 fake out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know. And so my dad comes and picks me up from juvenile hall. I guess they told him what happened. And I get in the car and he slaps me in the face. Bum. And he said, you stinking rat, fink, stool pig. Get in the back seat and don't say a word to me. <laughs> and when we get home, you go to your room, you stay in your room. You eat in your You don't sit at the table with me. Mm. You stinking rat, fink. And, and I don't know, what the hell's a rat, fink, you know? And uh, I knew I did something wrong. I just didn't know what. Uh, the whole week, he told nobody in the house could talk to me, my sister or my mom. Mm-hmm. But mom, when papa's gone, she would give me a hug and <laughs> tell me he'd be all right. And, uh, you know, that weekend, my father woke me up on a Saturday morning. He said, get dressed and get in the car. I said, okay. And I got dressed and got in the car. And he came out with a cooler and put it in the back in the trunk of the car. And we drove towards out of town, but we stopped at a store. And he got sodas and beers and uh, some bags of chips and stuff like that. And we drove. He didn't say a word. I didn't say a word. And we got to a place up like in Lee's Canyon and uh, uh, just outside of Nevada, Las Vegas. And uh, Mm. we got out. And he said, today you can drink beer, you can drink soda. And I thought it was a trick. You know, I said, I'll take a soda. He said, you sure? I said, can I really have a beer? He said, yeah. (laughs) And so I got a beer. And he says, I want to tell you something. And he took me down the road. He said, listen, if you're going to be a doctor, you'd be the best doctor you can be. If you're going to be a police officer, you'd be a good police officer. And you help people. You solve crime. You do. You'd be a good cop. Whatever you're going to do in life, if you're going to clean toilets, you own those toilets. You get them spotless. Take pride in whatever you do. And he says, one of the, I'm going to tell you this right now. Not that I have a great deal of experience, but I've had family. I've had, I know people that have dealt with it. He says, and I know a lot about this. He said, if you're going to be a criminal, I want you to know, let's look at that as a career. That's going to be one of the hardest things to be true to. And you must always be true to yourself. Never benefit yourself off the suffering and blood of another. If you get in trouble, you deal with it. You don't put it off on somebody else. Mm-hmm. He says, you're going to have situations where you're going to have to take a position. It's the right position, but it may turn others against you. Are you man enough to stand firm? I experienced that, and I, I found my answer to that. Mm-hmm. I was able to take a position, and it was the right position. I knew it. Somebody was getting bum beef because he wouldn't do something for a group of people. Mm-hmm. And they, they, they flagged him, man, you know. And I, I went to him, and I said, hey. He said, I know, man. I'm not locking up. I said, they're going to come at you. He said, yeah, well. Let him come. And so I'm in Ely now. So I, I can't, I got, I got to back his play. I just, and I get a piece and I come out and I said, uh, you know, I'm going to carry this with me until uh, 
I said, I'm going to ride with you, man. He said, no, you, I said, you ain't got to say nothing else, man. Before it was over, there was some heavyweight independents that got wind of what was going down, and they came to me and said, hey, hey my, my yard name is Guido. Mm-hmm. And they said, hey, Guido, just to let you know, man, uh, we're, on, we're on point too. And I said, hey, man, all right. You know, I didn't turn away, no, because, you know, uh, they got a gang of people here, and it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to kick off. But they backed off. Well, is, this, is this when you got into the institution originally? Uh, no, this is uh, 1989 or 1990. Well, when but, I but you were on the bus and you were talking to some guys on the bus. Oh, yeah. I, I, sometimes, like I said, I stray. You got to pull me back. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we're riding there. We stopped one time at, a, at a, I think, a McDonald's. And they got some hammer. They didn't offer me nothing. I didn't say nothing. But <laughs> I was thinking they could have given me a hamburger. <laughs> But I was too caught up, and uh, and I was just – I wasn't as afraid as I, I should have been, you know. It, for some reason, the fear seemed to have gone away until later in the day, uh, like early afternoon. It was like a seven-hour drive, six-hour drive. Mm-hmm. It always is. As we turn onto this road, and the guard says uh, – we're about to pull up to your new home, and we pass it. And, man, <laughs> what I saw was this drab. It looked like some kind of castle-like thing in, in some gothic movie with smoke, and, but it was real. And it put the fear of God in me because it was old. It was gray and brownstone bricks, you know. It was old. Uh it used to be a territory. Used to be a, a fort, and they turned it into a territorial prison. What prison was and that? This is in Carson City. Yeah, Nevada State Prison in Carson City, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And it's a frightening looking place. And you pull up to the gates, and uh, that they dropped me off to the guards, prison guards, and they immediately took the belly chains, the leg irons off, gave them back to the guards, and put me in handcuffs and took me down to walk a little bit it was called short line that's where the guards muster in their little offices they have in-service training for new guards in a big house out there and a lot of the convicts who were trustees uh like minimum custody whatever uh they were out there on short line where i was walking now being escorted those of us in the in the main yard couldn't be out there with these people 